Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Joe. We're recording today's episode at lunchtime on Friday, the 14th of May. Um, it's been a pretty busy news week. And as Nick and I, through the week, um, prepare, we exchange stories and topics and say this is a definite area to cover Friday. And I think we've had about five or six definite areas that we wanted to cover. So we'll try and um, we'll try and, and get through everything in this short um, episode. So I think the first thing is to look at the Q1 GDP figures were out for um, the UK and also there's some international comparisons which are, are quite interesting. We've had some backlash over the Monetary Policy Committee report. Um, we talked about the report itself last week and there have been a few um, commentaries on that which are worth picking up on. I think probably most people have been aware of inflation risks being more and more talked about. So again, I think we'll have a little bit of a, a more detailed look at, at that and um, and what that might might mean. And it hasn't great, been a great week for landlords. We've, we've touched in previous episodes on the Virgin Active restructuring plan. Um, and there was also another blow this week for New Look, um, a CDA that was challenged. Um, and we've had a decision on that. And finally, it's something that puzzles Nick and me a bit. And, and we will come back to this a bit um, a bit later on at, at the end. Um, is the government announced new powers to tackle um, powers that they might be able to take against insolvent directors. Um, and it's tacked on to a, another bill dealing with something else. So we, we'll just have a little um, look into to what's being proposed and what impact that, that might have. So, Nick, should we start with those GDP figures? Yes. Um, <clears throat> good old um, planet uh, ONS, <clears throat> possibly on, on, on in, in the same universe as the rest of us. Some, some of us think not. Anyway, they announced that the um, Q1 2021 GDP uh, number was down... 1.5%, which is less than was expected. The general consensus yep. was 1.7%. Mm -hmm. The outliers were saying it might be a drop of 4%. Nevertheless, that leaves the economy 8.7% below its pre-pandemic level, which they take as the last quarter of 2019. Yeah, okay. And um, specifically, <clears throat> they uh, commented on you know, some of the downside issues were um, fewer pupils attending school, and let's not go into the whole GDP methodology <clears throat> thing. Um, they uh, talked about retail sales being down inevitably in yeah, the of beginning of the, the quarter mm -hmm. um, and, until non-essential retail was allowed to reopen. Um, but one of the upsides was in health, where the vaccine rollout and the testing, I, and I will not say test and trace, the testing, mm -hmm. um, uh, volumes were enough to push GDP up in the health sector by 1.8%. Oh, right. That's pretty, um, pretty positive. Yeah. I mean, breaking it down, um, services were down 2% in the quarter, and they're now, like the general economy, 8.7% down. Mm -hmm. um, production, which includes manufacturing, 0.4% down, and that is 3.6% down on pre-pandemic. Right. Construction was the uh, hotspot, if you like, the the upside, 2.6% up, but nevertheless is still slightly 3.4% below mm -hmm. um, pre-pandemic. Um, uh, actually, very strong growth in construction in March, 5.8%. Um, there's also a monthly breakdown <clears throat> of the quarter. So 
Uh, January was minus 2.5%, February was plus 0.7%, and March was up 2.1%, again, exceeding expectations. Right. So interesting um, uh, uh, stuff. Uh, There was also a host of, if you like, sort of um, background uh, figures in there, and they uh, put figures out for household consumption, which was down 3.9% in the quarter, um, as it had been the previous quarter. And that's now, so they're saying household consumption is now uh, 12.8% below pre-pandemic, focused heavily into uh, huge drops in restaurants and hotels. Absolutely, that kind of social spend. And and transport, because Mm -hmm. nobody's going anywhere uh, on that, whether whether it's to work or to to play. Um, They also uh, reported numbers on credit and debit card spending, which is still 13% below pre-pandemic. And And you've had interesting points on this in the past, haven't you? Because Mm. I think we've all been encouraged, haven't we, to spend on card rather than cash. So you would expect that to be pushing that figure up and yet to be still down at that level um, is is actually quite quite worrying. Yes, and a little nugget within all that was that the um, spending on what they describe as social expenses, and that isn't defined, but that's how they describe it, is still down 30% yeah. on, on pre-pandemic. Um, and, and the last number I'll throw at everybody is business investment down in Q1 2021, and it remains the best part of 20% below pre-pandemic levels. And I think those of, those of you who remember um, where we started this over a year ago, this podcast, even at that point, we were we were concerned because business investment, I think, had already been coming down, mm. you know, before we were even coming into um, uh, the pandemic. So that's actually down almost twenty percent from a actually kind of low base, anyway. Yes, and the, and the two other things um, I'm I'm going to mention Brexit only once, which is to say that um, uh, the ONS said that EU trade in in Q1 2021 was down fourteen percent on the comparative period. Um, uh, in 2019, and but it was flat with the rest of the world. And I make no further comment because it, it's a, this is a that's a, a continuing saga. Yeah. That one. The thing that actually did catch my eye, um, having once upon a time spent six interesting years in the construction trade, um, was that mm-hmm. uh, the ONS highlighted that there was uh, strong upward pressure on costs in the construction industry, which was affecting profitability particularly on imported materials steel was mentioned yeah i see on that so you know that's that's and that's in a that's worrying because we know that um construction has you know notoriously low margins yes anyway so you know upwards pressure on on um, prices will inevitably lead to you know that that flowing down um because the the profit margins can't sustain um very very big changes can they in in the supply Yeah, quite so. Um, looking at the global picture, um, the UK, as uh, as I've said, is still down eight point seven percent from uh, Q four two thousand nineteen. If you want to look at the the read across elsewhere around the world, um, the US is down zero point nine percent. France is down four point four percent. Germany is down four point nine percent, and Italy is down six point nine percent. But of course, we need to remember there is different methodology going on. Yeah. 
It makes it yeah. very difficult. Those those comparatives become very difficult when you have these. And we've again we've talked about this before. When it's just a, a like a, a a point of a percent here or there, it's actually much more um, comparable somehow. But I think now we're we're talking with these these big differences. Yeah. Um, the methodology really actually does make a difference. So I guess again we will we will keep track of those as the um, as the year goes as the year goes on. Um, well, should we turn over to the um, MPC and the some of the backlash around the the report that they um, released last week. And the particularly interesting one is from, now you're going to have to correct me on the pronunciation. Is it NISA, NISA? Well, it's the, the National, National Institute for Institute of Economic and Social Research. That's what I don't know, NISA, NISA. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's call the whole thing off. Um, uh, Bank of England, through the MPC, said um, 7.25%, 7.25% growth in 2021 and 5.75% growth in 2022. NISA says not on your knife, 5.7% this year and 4.5% next year. Which, to be fair, is it, that is an increase from what they'd said before. So I think both of these forecasts are saying, actually, the situation has improved from what they thought it would be um, you know, in December time. Yeah. But, and, and what they're saying is, um, I think they're, they're implicitly um, scolding the MPC for having too insular a view. And what they're saying is you've got to take into account um, the issue with um, the pandemic worldwide, and you only have to look at India. Yeah. And for that matter, Africa, you know, where where there is a, a major problem with vaccine rollout, uh, with testing, with compliance. And they're saying you can't ignore that. Mm. And those issues uh, will impact on the UK economy uh, in, in a way that no amount of, uh, of signing deals with the Faroe Islands will ever compensate for. And again, they particularly cite the dependence in the UK on spending in the services sector on travel and tourism. And you know, yes. I'm, I'm in the process of writing a, um, a blog about the travel industry. And anybody who thinks that's getting back to uh, yeah. anything like normal uh, anytime soon is kidding themselves. And I think as well, it kind of is interesting given the um, ONS point about imported material price rises um, you know, affecting the construction sector. Inevitably, yeah. that will have read crosses to other um, other sectors. And I guess that's of the course. point that Nisa are making is that you know you can't you you can't treat the UK in, in isolation. However well we are doing with um, vaccine rollout and so on. We're not an yeah. island. <laughs> we may be physically, but actually, you know, in terms of in terms of our reliance on on the world, we can't consider ourselves in in isolation. Yeah, um, Nisa also talked about unemployment, and they uh, said it'll peak at six point five percent against the MPC's five point five percent, and they mentioned specifically that uh, they think four hundred and fifty thousand of the currently furloughed jobs will be lost by the end of the year. Uh, which actually that seems a low number, but they mm. may well be uh, may well be right. And they talk about consumer spending, and 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 particularly the point about this idea that the British economy is going to be driven by um, a nineteen twenties uh, like um, surge to get out and spend and and have a great time. Um, MPC said that they expected six percent of income. To be saved going forward. Nisa mm-hmm. um, says 10, 10% will be saved because that makes a huge difference. It does make a huge difference. Mm. Uh, I mean, that, that's fast difference. And, and of course, that leads us on to the 
the latest twist in the um, Andy Haldane saga, his article in the Daily Mail this morning, where his previous reference to a coil on spring recovery has been replaced by a tennis ball bounce that will take the, the UK economy um, into, uh, into a better position than the US economy. And I, I, you, you look at the, the numbers we've just quoted and, you know, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to kind of yeah. reconcile those. those two. I think the, the thing that, that concerns me, because I think he, he's making interesting points there about inflation. And I think that the articles that he's come out with are justifying his position as the only member of the MPC um, to vote against some of the, the, the continued quantitative easing. Um, and there he's saying, well, look, we, we, the, the economy is going to bounce back. Lots of people will be out spending. Having more, more money will just mm-hmm. increase that inflationary, um, inflationary yeah. risk. But, you know, there's a sentence that, that just struck out from for me from from the article where he says there are certainly still some large risks including from the virus and from the debts accumulated during lockdown then these could slow or even derail the country's economy but my own view is that it's more likely that the uk economy will power through rather than the relapse in the months ahead moving swiftly from bounce back to boom and it's quite hard to really <laughs> see the the kind of firm evidence i mean he talks about business um investments and confidence and again, you know, you look at those those figures, 18.4% business investment down on, on pre-pandemic. Um, and it is quite hard to really quite grasp um, the, the cause of his optimism. Well, the only thing I would say, and, and I'm not a defender of uh, Mr. Haldane, is that, of course, uh, you know, the, the bounce is coming from a pretty low base. Uh, and, true. And, and, and his comparison with mm. we're going to bounce back higher than the U.S., well, yes, of course we are, because we're starting 8.7% in the hole and they're starting more or less flat. So, of course, yeah. you know, the, 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 the ground the, growth. The, the mm. ground that the tennis ball is bouncing off is in a different place. So one suspects the, um, the, the, the bounce will be good. But again, as we keep saying, let's see how it all develops. We're in a really interesting phase as we're coming out of lockdown, Indian variant um, permitting. And uh, we're, you know, Things are beginning to expand, and um, nobody really knows how this is no. going to play out. And I think that that, that interesting to to um, come back onto the inflation risks, and that's been really talked about mm. a lot um, this week. And yet this morning, um, the headlines are saying, "Oh, inflation risk is pared back as the commodity prices fall." And I, I think, you know, we could um, let the the US inflation headline I think it's four point two percent, but again, there's a there's a base effect there, which is that it was we're measuring against a very low base of course you know that at the point we just made about the um the, the bounce back but it just strikes me that it's the volatility of this yeah. situation and the uncertainty and when you're trying to to take decisions if you don't yeah. know and you, there's not really any kind of clear sense of what's happening it doesn't normally lend itself to being the environment in which people make bold decisions and, and yeah. bold investment um decisions and i suppose that's the concern Yes, I, I, I agree. And the, um, there's, there's a, I think it was an FT article uh, about this, which referred to, I thought it was a lovely, lovely sort of turn of phrase, that they were predicting um, an extended period of monetary chicken gains over in interest rates between central banks and markets, where the central banks would threaten markets with a rise in interest rates and keep their fingers firmly crossed that the markets didn't call their bluff. 
on on, on that. So, mm. And we so, talked about the impact of interest rate rises being pretty um, catastrophic in terms of, oh. um, you know, the amount of borrowing and it, it kind of immediately yeah. has a, um, the impact of... Oh, of it's not it's nightmare scenario, a scenario for, for governments all over the world because, mm. you know, the, the, the borrowings are, you know, borrowings, government borrowings are so high yeah. on that one. Shall we move to the question of landlords? Now, it has not yes. been a great week, has it, this week for um No, the landlords, the landlords, some of the new look landlords were challenging the CVA that was approved last year and um, got um, roundly rejected um, by in, in, in the courts this week. And then the next day, I think it was the one that everybody is really looking at, which was the Virgin Active um, uh, case, where similarly the court took an absolutely robust view and said, you know, it, it, there are clear um, ways of... Um, assessing unfairness and where the financial burden falls under this procedure and the landlord's uh, protest didn't cut it. And the whole point about the uh, restructuring plan is to cram, be able to cram down protesting creditors uh, in, in a particular class. And so I, I never thought the landlord stood a chance on that one. Um, but but it's an important really case, isn't it? It's, it's, it's an important um, test case as well, isn't it? For, um, for and, and, and of course, with the, with, the, with the government threatening um, the, you know, with the, with their call for evidence about how the earth we're going to work out six billion pounds worth of unpaid commercial rent um, arrears, uh, you know, the, the you know, it's a call for evidence, but it's a clear signal to the landlords that they're going to have to sit down and work this thing out. Yeah, and if they don't then the government is going to create a framework that the landlords undoubtedly won't like. So not a great time to be a commercial landlord yeah. at, at the moment. Yeah, indeed. Well, we, again, we'll, we'll keep watching um, brief on these cases as, as, and when they, um, as and when they come up. But I guess we're expecting really more of these to be to be coming through yeah. certainly after the end of the, um, uh, the provisions, which is 30th of June, am I right in yeah, saying? Yeah, 30th end of June. Of the- End of the quarter, so and and in fact that's that's got quite a nice um, segue into our last um, piece, which has had a, we've done a bit of head scratching on this. It's a government announcement to to tighten up powers to take action against insolvent directors, and it perhaps you could no, that's actually not quite what they said. I mean, yes, yes, they 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 they, they want to do that, but what what they're after mm-hmm. is the directors of companies that have not gone through an insolvency process Sorry. but have been dissolved. dissolved. Now this is the sort of uh this is the sort of loophole fudge way of shutting down a company and not being subject to any of the sanctions against um errant. So this is the kind of quick, you know, we've talked about this before, haven't it, where there's not really very much there's nothing really to recover from these yeah. um, these companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course the, the the point is that you know in order to dissolve a, a, a company, you have to file a statement at company's house that it has no unpaid liabilities. Mm. You know, which which is a is, it's a pretty low bar in terms of um, you know meeting meeting the requirements. And and the the clear uh, understanding is that this has been a conduit for. Um, companies uh, for, for directors of companies to walk away from potential responsibility for for their conduct and who is responsible so is it somebody who, is responsibility who is a creditor of the company to say hold on actually 
Yep. I'm an unpaid creditor. And if, yeah. if, that, if somebody doesn't come forward, then the, the, the dissolved company can... Well, well the, 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 you see, the whole problem here is about, you know, the, the, the working of creditor democracy. Uh, because when you've got a, 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 an insolvency process, the creditors have a seat at the table. They may not have much of a voice because in... in uh, uh, changes in the insolvency law over the years have gradually whittled away at the holding of creditors' meetings, and there's no now no requirement to hold creditors' meetings um, if if there's no possible distribution to them. The law right. allows the thing to be shortcut, but nonetheless they have a they have a voice. They have somebody they can talk to, which is the insolvency practitioner, who's the liquidator, the mm-hmm. um, administrator. What is being proposed here? is all very well and good and uh, commendable. But uh, the questions I have is, which ones of the dissolved companies are they going to look at? Because there are an awful lot of them. Mm. So they will be dependent, I think, on creditors saying, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Um, What will their resources be to do this? They struggle to deal with the... um, the naughty directors on um, insolvencies. Uh, and here we are having cases where, you know, with an insolvent company, an insolvent process, the insolvency practitioner has a statutory obligation to conduct an investigation and report. So in practice, if you're looking at the disqualification of a, of a company director through an insolvency, the insolvency practitioner does the legwork, does all the investigation, presents a report, and will have the backup that will allow the insolvency service to build a to case. take action. Mm-hmm. I simply don't see that happening in this in this case because these are dissolved companies. So you know, I'm I'm inclined to think that because you know, again, with uh, uh, an insolvency, you know, companies have a responsibility to you know through the insolvency practitioner to keep the books and records for a period of time. Dissolve a company, I I think they're going in the trash can. Yeah, you know the computers are going to be turned off, um, and I just don't, I just don't see it. So I think what we've got here is a bit of grandstanding. But the only upside I think is that it it may become a moral deterrent. It might uh, deter some people. Um, it might go on the list of things um, that uh, business advisors in the pre-insolvency phase. We'll talk to a company director about. You know, right. mm-hmm. company, company director says, "You know, um, I'm I'm going to do. I want to dissolve this company. It's of no use to me anymore." Blah 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 blah. The uh, IP is going to say, or the business advisor is going to say, "Yes, but no. Have you thought about? Did you realise that if anything as naughty has happened here, you're still exposed?" Yeah. So it's possible that the moral deterrent is it a realistic sanction? No. I mean the other the other point um that, that's been made is um I'm quoting from the, the the press release. It's the measure will also help prevent directors of dissolved companies from setting up near identical businesses after the dissolution. And again, you have to ask questions, well, how is that necessarily going to be prevented? You know, other than as you say, you know, who's going to take action and, and find these um companies and potentially disqualification. But you know, unless companies have to give them more powers to mm-hmm examine the new formations and 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 check back to see if they're they're related companies or, or so on mm. um 
you've got to wonder really how much teeth the, these powers are going to have. And, and it, it struck me that it perhaps would be, make more sense to, to bring forward the proposals for the reform of Companies House, um, which I'm sure our listeners will remember. I think we first had the first consultation in summer 2019. We had a, another round of consultations at the end of last year. Um, we've been led to believe that we're at least a couple of years away from that hitting um, Parliament in any meaningful form. So, yeah, I mean, it, it just feels like it's a little bit of grandstanding and a, um, uh, tacked on to the end of a, a bill about rates, I think, isn't it? I think it's about mm. the the, um, the revision of, of rates and not, not allowing COVID to be a, a reason for um, a rate revision. So, yeah, it just seems a bit... A bit peculiar <laughs> to us, but um, I agree. We'll, again, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see over time whether um, this actually does have any material impact. So I, I think that brings us to the end of our <laughs> set of interesting topics um, for the week. Nick, thank you so much, as always, for guiding us through um, with such insight and, and clarity. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.